0: All right, before we start, I want to let you know about this amazing all-in-one podcasting platform called Listener.fm. Listener helps you record, edit, distribute, and monetize your podcast all in one place. With just one click, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and others. Check it out at Listener.fm. That's listn rfm All right. So, Victoria, in the past, you have worked at Sony, Disney, HubSpot, Google, Uber, Facebook, Netflix, Spotify. You were Kleiner Perkins product fellow, and now you're the founder of Scale ScaleHire. Uh, you just didn't break into tech. You actually crushed the big tech. So how do you do it coming from a non-tech background? That's an exciting story.
1: Yeah. No, thanks so much, Prashant. Yeah, it was, you know, when I first applied to Google, I just never even got... Any traction at all, right? I immediately got a rejection letter, put in my resume, got a bounce back. Um, And it was really frustrating because at the time I'd been working more on the digital space in terms of like websites, mobile apps, but they were all marketing based, not like true, you know, technology that was uh, a consumer product. And so that's what I really wanted to get into. And I just was, you know, I didn't really know a ton of people who worked in tech at the time. I didn't really have the background. And so eventually I went to business school, which a lot of people ask me, should I go to business school? And I think it's a complicated question. I think you have to think about the trade-offs for yourself and where you're at in your career. For me, it was an amazing decision. You know, I needed to find a way to pivot, grow my network. And I love learning. I love classes. And so... For me, it was a really great decision to go back into business school. Um, you know, at MIT, it's also very you know tech based, and so I was able to build out a lot of relationships and meet a lot of people who are also interested in the future of tech and consumer products and, and everything. And so, um, you know, from there, uh, HubSpot actually is also started by people who went to my business school, um, and so Dharmesh is also Sloney and you know, they had internships they offered to people who were at Sloan at the time. So that became, you know, one of my first experiences in tech Um, that I interviewed with Google and because of the business school program and um, the courses I had taken, which were deep dives into, you know, thinking about platforms and entrepreneurial strategy and all of that, it became a lot easier for me to fully adopt the mindset and speak the language so that when I went into those interviews, and of course, you know, there's a lot of people you can work with to prep Mm. and, and whatnot. And so... You know, I finally felt like I had gotten into the world and understood what people how they how they thought. Right. And that was really the breakthrough I had once I got into Google, you know, that opened a ton of doors for me for all my future opportunities. And so it was just kind of taking each step as it came and really trying to deepen my knowledge and understanding of like, how do these companies really function? How do you think about platform strategy? How does, you know, information, what's the future of information and content and all this stuff? And, you know, once you formulate an opinion on something, it really helps you in a lot of those interviews because they're looking for people who have thought about it deeply, right? And who have an opinion on um, what they think the future might be.
0: Right. Definitely. I believe you went to a really good uh, grad school or MBA school, Uh, but what do you think about it? What do you think about the, what do you think are the top two things that were the top most learnings out of this MBA school?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think you know, of course, there is all of you know the content from the professors um, that you that you learn that is helpful. Um, a lot mm. of that now today, especially, is available more broadly online. So I would say that's probably less important today than it has been in the past. More important, I would say, is just learning kind of the skills for really building relationships. You can call it networking if you want, yeah. um, but really, it's building relationships, right? And developing the confidence to do that cold outreach, to put yourself out there and just, you know, really learn how to keep learning at that point in your life. Right. I think it's easy to fall into, okay, like I'm doing this career, I'm in this job. And I feel like business school, at least in my experience kind of gave me a reboot in terms of, okay, wait, there's still so much to learn. And this is how I can strengthen my learning muscle again and strengthen my relationship building muscle. Um, and that really helped me at that point in my career.
0: Definitely. Those are the two most important. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all say, like, you know, learning how to learn. That's what we learn at universities, right? That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. So after grads or after MBA, you went to all these top companies. Which was one of your best experiences out of all of them?
1: Wow. You know, I think each one taught me something different, right? And I got and I kind of did that. Partially just out of sure luck, right? The opportunity arose, and I said, "Wait, this sounds really cool. Let me go for it." Um, and partially it was intentional. Um, but like when I, when I thought about the first role I wanted out of business school, I was hoping for something that was pre-IPO and more of a mm. growth stage company that wasn't too big yet. And so, um, Uber ended up being a really good fit because it fit that criteria, right? It was consumer-facing, really high growth, had a lot of interesting problems, and you products they were still launching. Um, so I got to see kind of the insides of building a platform that was, you know, insanely operationally excellent, right? Like the level of accuracy and, um, you know, thinking that goes into the matching for the rides and the drivers and the two-sided marketplace, right? All of those things. Um, I got to be on the forefront of that launching Uber pool.
0: Hmm. And so,
1: you know, that's the kind of experience that immediately, drops you into what it means to build a consumer product, right? If you're literally building a a technology that allows you to match multiple people on one trip within a capacity using an algorithm, like that's, um, exposes you really quickly to how all the different, you know, functions work together across engineering, data science, operations, marketing, growth. Um, and so that was a really fantastic experience just being able to see that. I mean, it's, pretty crazy that we were able to build and launch those types of products. Um, And so that was obviously a really cool experience, especially seeing, you know, Uber go from pre IPO through the IPO phase and how the culture changed in the company, how leadership changed and all of that um, was a really interesting experience. And then Facebook also, I really enjoyed just out of the sheer, again, like being able to be at something that had such impact and reach When I was Mm. at Facebook, I also got to join um, Station F and the Startup Garage to help startups in Paris, actually, as they were building and launching their startup ecosystem. So, you know, there's all these opportunities you get at a bigger company that maybe you can't have at, you know, growth stage or earlier stage companies. And so that kind of gave me additional exposure as well. Um, And then Netflix is like, you know, another level of a company that was even more established, um, had much more formal and structured teams and processes in place, um, much more senior people I was working with. And so that gave me a peek into the more kind of executive world and how, what it takes to be an executive at a very established tech company. So I would say each of those kind of, you know, helped me develop my perspective on what works best for me as an individual and like what types of experiences I want to have in my career.
0: Right. <clears throat> I love that you said Uber because I love Uber pool. Uber pool just looks so magical, right? <laughs> like you're just sitting over yeah. there and things are just happening. And yeah, it's cheaper, it's faster. And just looking at like, you know, how the system design would have worked. That's just magical to me. So yeah. how do you execute that? Let's say right now a product marketer is actually listening to this. How would you, mm-hmm. how would you like can I explain them what exactly you did and how they can replicate that wherever they are?
1: Absolutely. I think when it comes to launch, right, you're going to market. The most Hmm. important things to keep in mind are like who are your target audiences, who are going to be the first people who are willing and excited to try your product, right? So, understanding who that target audience is, and then mapping all of the unique product features that are part of the product experience to clear value propositions. So, what that means is making sure that the feature you have, like, for example, on the technical side, you could say, we have this algorithm that's optimizing for the minimum wait time for Uber Hmm. pool. Right. And on the value proposition side, you have to translate that into something that means something for the consumer. So that's the, you know, maximum, maximum 10 minutes of wait time to get, you know, an additional 30% off your ride. Right. And so like finding that connection and architecting it so that it's exciting for consumers and really authentically represents what the, underlying technology is a delivering right with the new feature that's kind of the art and the magic of articulating that for go-to-market and for launch
0: that's pretty cool i believe that this is something i've started to believe that when i was at microsoft mm-hmm. i my first project was a simple excel sheet work and the second project was a 25 million dollar project and when i go wow. back to sleep i think that hey i think i have put the same effort but it was more about what kind of thing i'm choosing to work on What Mm -hmm. have you learned after working at, like, you know, these big companies scaling these big projects? Like, do you think it just requires smarter people, more uh, effort? Or is it the same? It's just about, like, you know, what do you choose?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. I love that question because it can be so frustrating for someone who's extremely talented and working really hard and they're just on the wrong project. And that is very painful, right? You can have someone who if you had dropped them in a different circumstance or situation, they would have just been killing it and maybe would have made it to like a sea level in a few years. Who knows? Right. And it's like, that's why I always, when I coach people, I tell them, you know, Mm. think about your own strengths and what motivates and energizes you and areas where you can continue to improve, but also be really mindful of what environment you're putting yourself in. Right. If you plant a seed in like, really bad soil that has no nutrients, no water, no sunlight, the seed's still not going to grow, right? Like you have to look proactively, be thoughtful for yourself out of the sake of your own career and your own growth to put yourself in an environment where there's opportunities and where there is support um, for you, right? And an and environment that will really accelerate and allow you to grow.
0: Right. That makes sense. Now, what were you missing in Fang that you thought that, hey, it's time to jump to startups?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. I know I get that a lot about like, why would you leave these, you know, great opportunities? And I think I'm just naturally very entrepreneurial. There's something about, you know, solving brand new problems that Hmm. is super exciting to me. And, you know, as so when you join a bigger company, you're working with a lot more people, right, and a lot more teams. And so a lot of the work and your time spent is shifted to focusing on how can I influence people? How do I get the right resourcing? How can I persuade someone to care about whatever project it is that I think is important? Um, and there's, of course, just more processes in place because it's necessary for a company of that size. Hmm. Um, and while those things are, you know, really important to get good at and executives need to be good at that, right? Right. It's also, um, for me, What me even more than mastering some of those particular skills is I love solving problems and thinking about what might the world be like if we had this solution that doesn't exist yet, right? And so when I felt like I had sufficient experience, and again, like the opportunity came along and it happened to be the right opportunity, right? Like Ravi, my co-founder, he's been a friend and mentor of mine, someone I really look up to. And like what I mentioned about finding the right environment for yourself to grow, right? I mean, I couldn't imagine, frankly, a better partner, coach, mentor, co-founder for me to work with. And so when he came to me with the idea, it was something I'd already been really thinking about and passionate about. And so it felt like the perfect opportunity to be in, um, to go through this, this journey of building a startup, right? When you have the right person come to you with the right kind of idea. And so so much of those decisions, I think, depend on all those factors. And at that moment, you have to decide, is this combination of factors and variables right for me? And is this going to set me up for the maximum success for you know, things I want to learn, um, experiences I want to have in my career, and my, my ultimate vision for where I want to be?
0: That, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely the right opportunity came across. You grabbed it. And yeah, let's talk about the initial days of scale. Like how did this entire idea form? How did this idea originate?
1: Yeah, so my co-founder Ravi and I both had been coaching um, different people. And we'd, you know, in our one-on-one calls and catch-ups, we'd talk about, like, things we observed and just experiences we were having with people that we were coaching. And then Ravi was EIR at Reforge, which is another program Mm. that helps people level up in their careers that's more kind of skill-based. And so he started to observe this pattern with all the people he was teaching in that cohort. Um, And essentially, what we found was that there is this gap between a lot of these programs that are focused on cohort based learning, where it's high level concepts, um, really deep, very thorough knowledge and information, but often really dense and also not personalized. And so for us, we got really excited at, at the idea of having learning and also practice and feedback. And the beauty of coaching is that it is very specific to your strengths, your situation, and helping you apply a lot of really great concepts um, in a way that actually gives you an impact and outcome that you're looking for. Right. And so, you know, a lot of the programs would just leave you with the great knowledge, but people would Mm. fail to actually implement it, not stay accountable, not be sure how they would implement it to their specific situation. Um, And ultimately, you know, it became, um, something that maybe just you know we've all been there where we've read a really great business book yeah. and then six months later completely forgot about the key lessons right and so a lot of these programs tend to be that way and we really wanted to change that with scale we wanted to make the coaching turn all of the ideas into actionable outcomes for the people who are trying to achieve their goals
0: that makes sense do you think four weeks like, what was the format of four weeks? Is this like the first in to actually see people or actually get people to experience what it is like? And then maybe if you are, if you love it, then we can go deeper. So, how do you come up with this program that, hey, in four weeks, we can show you results?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And just for those who might not know what scale is, like at a high level, we're trying to supercharge your success at work with one on one personalized guidance. Through specific areas you really want to develop your skills in with the help of a coach who's been there, who's an experienced person, and also an operator and a coach. And so we landed on this idea of having guided sprints, which are four week programs, like you mentioned, that have the learning, practice, and feedback component all part of every session, every single week. And so Mm. the reason we landed on four weeks is. You know, people tend to have a lot of obligations. They are also looking to try to see some bit of progress as quickly as possible. And so while we believe, you know, coaching definitely is a long-term journey, it's something that you want to keep doing over time to help people experience the micro um, outcome as quickly as possible, four weeks felt like the right amount of time. And- we're still just testing and experimenting. So far, we've seen some really great results with this. But we certainly want to you know, adapt over time and really find out what the best approach is. And it might be just different for different people too.
0: Definitely. I think I have a very really similar sort of story. So basically, I joined mm. a gym. I found a trainer, a really good trainer. Now this trainer was really yeah. good. He was like, you know, he really cared about me. He would look at mm-hmm. my Instagram stories and he'd be like, yo, what are you eating? You should eat the right food, what I suggest <laughs> you do. I love
1: that he was looking at your Instagram stories. That's exactly. a good trainer. They're really trying to stay on top of you.
0: Exactly, exactly. Sometimes I'm hated that, wait, should I hide him from my stories? But then I thought that, no, that's good. He's keeping me accountable. I love that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, after that, I thought that, all right, what if I can do similar thing for my career as well? But so technically that very same day, went on LinkedIn and just DMed every product manager at Google in India that, hey, will you, ah. be my, will you be my coach for one month and I will pay you this amount. And that's how it happened. I actually ended up getting in touch with a person. Uh, that was a great experience. Uh, mm. But I think exactly if it could be more uh, if expectations could have been set much better it would be much mm. productive for us and mm. i think that's exactly what you guys are doing you're setting the expectations that All right these are these many live sessions these many on-demand calls whatever like community whatever support you yeah. need this is what we give you and Absolutely. because it's super structured it helps a lot so i want to know like what is something that people really want out of these four weeks
1: Yeah. And I think you hit on a really great point with your own observation is what we observed with coaching was that a lot of times it felt too amorphous, right? Like Mm. you knew you wanted to work with someone, you knew you wanted to get better, but there wasn't enough structure around what the conversations might be, how long Mm. it might take. Um, And coaches had varying clarity in their programs around what they were willing to, um, you know, kind of share with you as an expectation around the outcome. And so for us, because it's very structured and supplemented by the content piece, you're definitely going to learn, right? That's that's happening. You're gonna complete the exercises for the practice. Um, and then that helps the coach really get in specifically to help pinpoint the areas in which you need improvement a lot faster because you're getting into the specifics faster as well through the content and the exercises. Um, and so I would say, when we think about what people want, you know, the programs are designed to help them address like a key area that they are most interested in improving. So people are self-selecting into different things like productivity or getting a promotion. Um, I would say the promotion one's probably the best example of something mm-hmm. that's very scoped, right? Like I want to be able to prepare a proposal to get promoted or how to think about getting promoted as quickly as possible. And so four weeks is a particularly good timeframe for a program like that. Um, and pe- We want to make it flexible, too. So some people actually have been accelerating through the program. So sometimes, you know, they're like, oh, my performance review is in, you know, two weeks now. Can I go through the sprint faster? And we're making that available, too. So, again, Mm. it's that level of personalization that helps get to the root problem. And that's what coaching is supposed to do, right? We're supposed to help identify the root cause for people so they can unblock from that and really be able to tap into their biggest strengths.
0: Right. Are you guys focused on a specific role right now? Let's say product manager.
1: We're seeing that naturally there's a lot of product managers only because Ravi, you know, has a very mm. large product management following from his previous work in product strategy and leadership. Um, but we also see people from a lot of different functions, and we definitely see this as something that everyone at work who is struggling can use a personalized guided sprint with a coach, right? Like, right. There's so many areas that work is so complex. And there's such little support and such little personalized support in work these days that we just think there's a ton of opportunity.
0: Definitely. I think one of the biggest thing that was sort of a gray area for me was Mm -hmm. systems and processes. Like what are some systems and processes that product managers at the top companies use to make a seamless efficient process uh for launching products that i can just copy and replicate at least if i know it i can do something better uh what do you guys focus on like over here do these uh do these mentors just lay it down for them or are these like okay let me see how you operate today at your job and let me make it efficient
1: yeah exactly so the you know our coaches provide a lot of different frameworks and approaches and i think the thing is You know templates and and frameworks are great but if they're applied in the wrong circumstance or at the wrong size company it may not be effective at all and that's again where that personalization comes in is the coach will assess and help you identify like you know based on your stage based on your circumstance what is the right level of process or complexity or frameworks that you actually need to be successful for the outcome you're going for
0: hmm okay that makes sense uh all right, let's talk about how to manage yourself. You already mm-hmm. mentioned that. You have been tweeting a lot about like creativity, emotions. I would love to know, like, how do you think about this entire space? How to manage yourself?
1: Yeah, that's, you know, definitely an area of passion for me only because it's been, I'm constantly a work in progress with all of that. And so yeah. it's really fulfilling for me to try to share whenever I make, make a breakthrough or I see my clients who I'm coaching make a breakthrough because at the end of the day, right, like, you are you have to be able to understand yourself and activate yourself in the right ways to go towards the goals that you want and when you rely on external factors only right you're not going to you're going to lose navigation pretty quickly of your life of your goals your values and so having that deep level of self-awareness of am i staying true to my values where am i feeling like i'm getting triggered or where am I losing energy? How can I stay energized? Right? Asking yourself those questions or having a coach work with you to really look at those areas is so important. Um, and you know, when you've developed that muscle to really notice those different fluctuations of energy and emotion within yourself, you're going to be able to activate them at the right moment, and the right time. So it's the same. You know, when you think about it internally, it's the same as a lot of your external muscles, right? Like if you've never used a muscle before, like you've never done, when you go to the gym, it's like, how do I, how do I do this? Right. It's a big struggle. So similarly, if you've never spoken in front of a huge room of executives before the first time you're going to be panicking, having anxiety probably. Right. And so how can we prepare people and help them moments through coaching? And, um, you know, having gone through that myself, understanding myself and knowing what might trip me up and give me anxiety helps me prepare for that and when i'm able to mentally and emotionally prepare myself for that then i have a more successful outcome right and so it's just a key part of sustaining yourself on your on this very long journey of work right and and growth and success
0: definitely that's that's a big one especially emotions right because we humans are complex we constantly change we constantly oh, feel yeah. new things i think sometimes i would just watch a documentary and that would totally change the way i think about everything <laughs> and yeah put it into a different direction uh but yeah that definitely happens a lot i'm curious you i'm actually really curious what was can you if you can share the numbers what were the numbers looking like in the initial days how did you grow or how did you scale scale
1: mm Yeah, for scale, I mean, I think the most important thing early on is less focus on the scale right away and more focus on product market fit. If you're developing a solution for the first time, before you scale the solution, you better be pretty sure that that solution is the best solution for the problem you're solving, right? And I think a lot of people jump to try to scale quickly when, in fact, it matters more. You know, are you answering the right questions? Are you fixing the right things that are broken. And if you're not, then there's no point in scaling because it's just going to break later on and you're going to waste a ton of money from all your investors and everybody, right? And so our ethos at scale has really been how can we really in the nuances of our product and solution. And so the core North Star metric for us has just been satisfaction from hmm. our members as they go through the sprint. We look really closely at You know, are the exercises designed as effectively as they could be? What needs to change about this experience? How can we continue to make it better before we really scale it? How can we make sure we deeply understand the problems that our members face and that our coaches face too, so that we develop the right solution for both of them? Um, So that's our North Star metric early on is like satisfaction rating for all of the guided sprints, the coaches and the coaching itself. Um, And then thinking about, you know, what so brian balfour actually wrote this really great uh, blog on i'll um, link it to you after but it's like product channel fit so mm-hmm. understanding your audience and understanding where they want to receive this information about your product and service is really key right like you wouldn't i remember there were times where like you know certain b2b companies might try to go on to like Instagram or something, right? And maybe that just wasn't the best fit because people weren't right. in that right mindset to be consuming and receiving messaging about this type of product there. Um, so it really just depends on understanding, you know, what is your target audience want in terms of information and where to receive it. And so identifying the right channel will help you scale much more quickly and efficiently because, um, you know, you're not kind of forcing the message onto people in the wrong place in the wrong time.
0: Yeah, product channel fit is such a cool term to define what a content creator would do. Like, they would post very witty content on LinkedIn. They would be like, okay, let me crack some jokes on Twitter. Let me share my Mm. cool lifestyle on Instagram. And that's exactly what we call product channel fit. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. I'm curious. So, let's talk about what are the traits of a successful leader because you are focused Mm. on creating leaders. And what have you seen? What is on and on the best traits that you see for a successful leader?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think first off, like I mentioned earlier, like self-awareness is just so key, right? You need to be open and willing to look long and hard at yourself to mm-hmm. know what your strengths are and where there's opportunities to grow. If you're unable to do that, you're going to eventually hit a wall, right. With like your own challenges and um, mistakes that you might just keep making over and over again, because you haven't been honest with yourself. And so that's something, you know, that I've seen time and again, for people you coach, you always want to look for how self-aware and how open are they? So a growth mindset is also very key. And that's tied Mm -hmm. in with the self-awareness, right? If you're willing to look at yourself and be honest with yourself, and you're willing to learn and improve, the ideal combination for someone to be coached and also to be a leader. Because if you don't have those two things, um, some people still are able to be very successful, right? Just out of sheer persistence, grit, timing, power of their mm. personality, whatever it is. I'm sure we can all think of people who have, you know, may not seem like they have a ton of self-awareness, but they still have right. been able to succeed. Um, but generally speaking, you know, a lot of leaders, that is the formula to help you get to where you need to go. Um, And, you know, it just helps you build your reputation and your network because if you're doing both of those things, then that's pretty apparent to the people you collaborate with, the people you manage, the people that you're reporting into, right? And those are traits that I think are commonly looked for whenever people are hiring as well.
0: Definitely. I think this is something which has been one of my biggest learning, uh, running startups. Also, when I was at Microsoft, like, you know, I think when you were a kid, you were just trying to get the validation from your parents, from mm. everybody. Mm-hmm. And once you get this big job, you are like, all right, uh, it's time for me to, yeah. like, you know, level up. But that's when one of my managers came to me and he's like, "Krishan, I think you're really focused on yourself. You should also focus on others. Mm. And that's, and I think Microsoft has some really good culture and they like, you know, really make sure that, hey, you help others, you help others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that how have you uh, or how do you think about hiring right now like you know because hiring is exactly that straight talking self-awareness uh, again like you know setting expectations very straight and way up like way before so how how do you think about hiring as of now
1: so you mean hiring in terms of how we're thinking about it at scale or just hiring in general like for for leaders
0: in general for leaders yeah
1: Yeah. Okay. Got it. Great. Um, For hiring, when we think about hiring for leaders, right? I think those two traits I mentioned are are very key and also being able to communicate effectively and be able to build those relationships and influence, right? Because even if you're at a small company, you're still going to need those skills. And so Mm -hmm. at a big company, again, it becomes even more magnified, right? If you're dealing with Huge teams, you better be able to communicate effectively and and influence other key stakeholders and motivate the team that you're working with in order to be successful. Um, and so, you know, again, looking for those skills I think is very important when you're hiring. And also, just going back to the self awareness, it's just when you're able to be humble, right? And also to your point about being thoughtful about how you can contribute to the team and to the company as a whole versus being all about you know how can I advance my own career? I think Hmm. that becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly to managers when you have someone who is more single-minded versus team-minded. And so when you're in the right mindset of like, hey, how can I do my best work? If you ask that question, that will inevitably include, how can I help others level up? How can I make sure I'm being collaborative? How do I make sure I'm communicating clearly, right? And if you're only focused on your own career, again, that may get you so far for a short period of time, but over time, it's going to become not as helpful for you, especially as you're trying to get to more senior roles.
0: Hmm. That's true. That's very true. And again, the question coming back to uh, Mm -hmm. what do you think or what's your take, getting a promotion Mm -hmm. versus switching your company?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that's another good question. It, again, depends on your circumstance, which I know is kind of a challenging answer sometimes because what you really want to look for is you want to ask yourself some questions about that environment that you're in, right? Does it seem like people in my role are getting opportunities? What are the barriers and blocks to potentially getting promoted because of company resources or the company direction? Do I have a true advocate from my manager? like, am I, Do I have enough buy-in from both my manager and other key stakeholders at this company to ensure that I will have a pretty successful ongoing um, career journey at this company? And if you're not seeing those variables that will contribute to your ongoing growth at that company, then if you see another opportunity somewhere else, it might be a better move to just move to a different company where you are seeing more of those Um, you know, variables in place for you from an environment standpoint. And so, you know, also it just, I think a question you have to ask yourself is like, what gets me most excited? Where can I learn the most? And if those questions are directing you to a new role, then, and you have that opportunity, it might be worth going for.
0: Right. That makes sense. Definitely. I feel uh, a lot of my friends, we are in this age where we just graduated. We have like some of my really good friends have gone to the best companies, big tech companies. And everybody's now thinking about this, that, hey, should we switch? I believe total compensation mm. is a bigger factor for me. I don't really care about the mission, but I understand mission is where, like, you know, leaders value you when you think more about vision and mission. Uh, but yeah, this is something that we all think about right now. Also, what do you think or what is the best stage for someone to think about considering scale? Is this only when they are looking for a promotion or is this when, is this like any time? If you are new to your career, yeah. come to scale, will help you out.
1: That's a great question. I think what we see most with what's like most successful for people on scale is anyone, again, who is really just driven, right? They're very growth oriented and they're committed to putting in the time and the energy it takes to actually take the content take the practice take the coaching and actually implement it right so we ask in our in our application like how committed are you to growth because even if we design the best system possible if you're just not really that energized about putting in the work to grow then it's not going to happen right and so we have people on skill who are you know really early on in their careers and people who have many many years of experience and they're like director level or above and so it just because it's coaching and it's personalized, the, you know, we really are able to support a really wide range of people across different parts of their career. And our programs also span different areas. So we have programs that are just based on productivity. And so that obviously literally applies to everyone, right? Anyone who wants to be more productive and cares to put in the effort, they can take that guided sprint. And then there's ones that are much more focused, like you mentioned, which are for, you know, leveling up specifically as a PM, like how can you get better as a product leader? um so we do support a wide range
0: that's, that's that makes sense uh, productivity is definitely something that everybody's looking to improve right now it, and goes everywhere from just learning or being good at notion to yeah waking up oh, yeah. early
1: <laughs> exactly i mean you can spend hours getting stuck in notion <laughs> trying to yeah. optimize it right and so that's true definitely and especially working from home that's something we noticed too is you know a lot of people struggle with motivation or focus um, frankly, you know, when you work from home or when you're in the office, depending on the office step, right? Like if you're in an open office space, that can be more distracting even than working from home potentially. Um, Mm. but really it's developing again, that muscle for understanding when you're getting distracted and how to snap back into place and activate the muscle to be productive. Um, which is something that is just, once you understand it, you have to just keep practicing it and get, you know, coaching to really make sure that you're using it and, and um, understanding and activating it at the right times.
0: Definitely, because you mentioned work from home. I'm just curious, like what would be your ideal work routine? Like, would it be hybrid, work from home, work from office, work from a co-working space? Yeah, what do you think?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I personally, I'm kind of a introvert-extrovert hybrid, a little bit more on the introvert side actually, but I do enjoy having Same. really deep focus time to like think and work and like create I love just having time for creation and so but I also get energized working and collaborating with really amazing people right so for me I think you know seeing people like being around people not seeing people because I'm still seeing people every day in zoom but like physically (laughs) being around people at least like once or twice a week is is a good balance of that and the rest of the time I'm able to either you know hop on zooms and be heads down early point about like the future of work I really think that it's going to be so much about flexibility and personalization like what does what is the ideal environment and way in which this person does their best work and how can we match them with the roles and the environment that supports that right like the compatibility element is huge and I think now that we've experienced what we have with how work's evolved it's become very obvious to people like whoa like I was in this very incompatible work experience where you know It was draining me every day to go to work and physically have to be in meetings all day. And I didn't even realize that until I had the option to Hmm. not do that. And so now that that awareness is there, I think we're going to see just a lot more, um, you know, people finding the right places for them um, and companies providing those options that didn't before. Um, So that flexibility and compatibility, I think, is really exciting for us.
0: Definitely. I think I have found a good routine for myself where like, you know, from morning until noon, I would work from home again, deep work, deep mm-hmm. focus. And then after that, I would just go and work from a cafe because that's where when you mm. see people physically, you at least get some energy and yeah. some cafes have a really good vibe. So it's, it's setting the mood.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, I find, um, you know, there's actually a a little productivity drink I take, it's called Magic Mind. It's like combination of matcha and some other nootropics that help you really snap into the zone. Um, But I'll take that sometimes when I'm getting into like a deep, deep work zone, it's like a little matcha shot. And then it actually helps me really focus for like two or three hours of just deep work. Um, But in my ideal day, I've also adopted the habit during COVID of doing walks and
0: taking 15,
1: 20 minute walks throughout the day and between meetings whenever I can. Is so helpful for me. I actually I'm standing right now at my standing desk, but also having like a flexible desk where I can stand and sit and just change things up, I think is so it's like, you know, been proven to be physically beneficial for you, but it also helps mm. me with my focus as well when I'm able to do that. Because when you're feeling good physically, right? I'm also a huge, huge advocate of great sleep. Cause when you're yes. physically in a good spot, you can actually perform and think much, much better. Um, so I always prioritize that because my output is just so much better when I give myself, um, you know, the best kind of circumstances for my body.
0: How you also optimize your pillow quality and your mattress quality.
1: I do actually wow. have done probably more research into that than I, I you know, I'm willing to admit. But um, I have an Aura ring, so okay, um, that nice. basically is something I wear every night to track my sleep quality. And I've been able to move my sleep score up by like five to ten points on average um, over time, just because of again awareness. Right, helps you really hone in on and shift for the outcome you want. And I started to notice like certain types of supplements like magnesium or, you know, certain teas at night might help me with my sleep, the room temperature, you know, the type of pillow, but really the the biggest thing I think is just stress management. Even when I've optimized all those variables, if I'm mentally and emotionally experiencing anxiety, experiencing a ton of stress, and I haven't dealt with that, that's the root cause. And no matter how many great supplements you have or the best pillow in the world, you're going to be struggling. And so another reason why, like, I'm just so passionate about you know what we're doing at scale is we deal with the root cause. Like, whatever it is that's truly blocking you from succeeding at work, we try to get to that so that you can free yourself up energetically to focus on doing the kind of work that will really push you forward.
0: Definitely. One of the biggest reasons that you see is blocking people to succeed at work.
1: Not having that insight and that that kind of light bulb moment around where they're even being stuck, right? And that's where that other mm. unbiased third party comes in handy with, you know, a coach is you have your manager and you have yourself usually, right? And the majority of the interactions, of feedback um, outside of like performance reviews and you have other additional feedback, but that can itself be a very triggering and stressful and maybe not open conversation for a lot of people as it is. And so if you're already going into that relationship, or you don't have a very open, authentic and supportive relationship with your manager, then you're going to be blocked on truly accepting feedback in a way and observing yourself in a way that's going to help you to move forward. And so having an unbiased third party come in and say, whoa, like I'm observing this dynamic or these mindsets or these thoughts that you're jumping to conclusions to, or these emotions that you keep, having brought up every time you have this type of conversation, you know, how can we reframe your mindset? How can we help, you know, shift how you're seeing the situation and then also shift how you're showing up in the situation. That's where the breakthroughs happen. Um, And sometimes it really does just take that other third party to help you get there because, you know, it's so much emotion and complexity into a situation unless you have some support, it can be really difficult to do it yourself.
0: Definitely. And how do you think or how do you manage anxiety because yeah like Mm. I believe I I believe that's in everyone's role but specifically if I talk about myself when I started as a product manager and I learned that okay you have to not only take care of the business side but also the tech side but also the design Mm. side and the marketing and the law and the legal stuff and Mm. everything that comes across and then your calendar looks like a cluster of just totally like, you know, different meetings that do not match. There's, there's no similar context. Yeah. It's a lot of context switching. So how do you handle, how do you advise people to manage anxiety at work?
1: Yeah, it's, I think there's two parts to that, right? There's the internal, how you talk to yourself about all of this. And then there's the external like tactical and strategic stuff you can implement and do and take action on that will help you with it so on the internal side you know when you think about these projects and think about yourself and the work what are you actually saying in your mind are you saying there's just too much to do i can't handle all of this there's just a million projects i feel so behind like what's your internal narrative or are you saying okay i know i have an hour set aside to to focus on road mapping and planning on sunday i'm gonna get all of my things you know, all my to-dos in a list and tackle it first thing. I know I can can handle it, right? Like what's that internal dialogue and the understanding and making sure your mindset is in the right place and you're catching yourself before you spiral, right? We all spiral, let's be real. We all have moments where we're like, oh my God, this is just too much. I can't handle it. This is all going to go to to crap, you know? But um, that's where you have to practice, again, activating that muscle. Whoa, I hear myself going down the spiral. I'm going to hold myself back, take a moment and take a deep breath Go back to my tools. What are my tools, right? So on the external side, let's let's talk about like the strategy and tactics. So when you think about your workload and your time management, you want to really be focused on what are the key priorities for me to move the biggest rocks forward, and how can I make sure that I get to all of those in a way that you know leads to the outcome I want in the time frame that I want. And so there's a lot of planning and organization that actually is required to do that. And again, the self-awareness, right? It's easy to get sucked into back-to-back meetings, into reacting to other people's requests and feedback and questions and all of this. But what I've learned over time is I set aside, you know, an hour at least every week just to do some planning and look at my list, right? I'm like, okay, where am I on the calendar? What month am I in? What day am I on right now, right? let has been so crazy. And what are the key priorities I, I have at the top of my list? Okay, what is working or not working? What do I need to do to move these? This week? And I plot out in every single day of that week, what my top three priorities are. And I focus on making sure I block out the time to achieve those priorities to the best of my abilities. Of course, I'm not perfect. Like, there's definitely days where it gets totally derailed, right? And you lose control of the day <laughs> and that's going to happen. And you have to also, going back to the self-talk, be like, okay, this happens. It's okay. I know my tools. I'm doing my best, right? and then get back on track. Um, But just doing that, taking that moment to do the planning is so critical. And we actually have in our productivity guided sprint, we have a session on how you can run these self-strategy sessions where learning how to coach yourself, right? And learning how to focus yourself and say, okay, I'm noticing that I'm going off, off the tracks here. I notice like these things aren't really helpful for me or they're draining my energy. I need to say no to this in the future. Right. And just, The biggest mistake people make is not taking the time to self reflect and analyze on their own progress and where their energy levels are at and what they're actually getting done or not getting done. And if you take just an hour at least a week, you can already make so much progress. You feel on top of it because you've taken the time to think about it, right? Instead of just being driven by your calendar or sucked into meetings, you now are the one in control. And so I always coach my clients to to make time for that self-strategy session and and think critically about how their time is being spent.
0: I love that. The reason I love that is because this is what I would do. Like I would just open up my notion. I have that journaling uh, page. I'll just write whatever, whatever comes to my mind and yeah, I think what you need is just clarity. You just need to know what you're thinking and then you need yes. to figure out your own answers. Sometimes I think it's um, it's just very really, uh, weird to ask someone a question when you already know the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially for these kind of things, like, you know, these uh, soft questions, which are, or let's say, non-technical questions that, hey, uh, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I manage myself? I think sometimes you already know the answer. It's just that you want someone else to tell you that, hey, This is what it happens. And if you just sit down and type it all out on your journal, you will figure it out.
1: Absolutely. Uh, That's why I'm a big fan of like meditation and breath work and all that because it gives you that space to allow your inner thoughts and wisdom to come out that's been Mm. suppressed just by the busyness of the day, right? And sometimes all it is is taking and blocking off that time to ask yourself and be with yourself. And then, you know, so many of the answers and coaching also really, you know, supports that is the questions help guide people to the answers they already know. And of course, there's still skills and new frameworks you need to learn. But I think most people will be surprised at how much they can tap into themselves just by making the time to do so.
0: Hmm. You mentioned meditation. Would love to know. Like, I believe you have optimized meditation as well. Is there any specific meditation technique that you use? And yeah, do you have like, how does meditation work for you?
1: Yeah, for me, I started it to help manage a lot of my anxiety, right? And I found, what I love about meditation is it gives you, again, that time to just be with yourself, which most of us don't have in the day. And True. in that moment of being, you have break. And so for some people, you know, I don't, I don't believe that meditation is the only path. Some people like to mm. run, right? Some people like to do yoga, like whatever it is for you do whatever is de-stressing for you. Like take a walk through the forest, whatever it is, right? Just give yourself the space to be. And when you have that space, you get naturally a lot of those subconscious thoughts and feelings and insights will come through, which I think is a valuable part of, you know, taking that time. Um, But I use Insight Timer. Um, I've also tried various like breathwork apps, but those are just, I, I enjoy doing those formats in addition to walking um i don't run but again it's really whatever allows you to have that space for yourself
0: that's true because i've heard a lot of people say that hey uh, i don't do meditation gym is my meditation and i believe when you realize that yeah i think there was actually a course on Coursera, right uh from a professor it's all about learning how to learn it's about that hey yeah once you do these really hard technical things where you are just your brain is like you know really focused on uh like you know improving on that one vertical then when your brain goes and relaxes that's when all the dots start connecting exactly. so that can connect wherever you are it could be in shower it could be shower is big for me like i get my best <laughs> yeah. tweets and best ideas in shower but yeah after that I love uh, it. it's running gym meditation whatever
1: I, it's so annoying. I do tend to get some really great tweets in the middle of the night when I'm too lazy to get up <laughs> and write it down. And so I, I a lot of brilliance has just disappeared into the, into the night from my sleep, <laughs> unfortunately. Exactly. So yeah, it's, it's that thinking fast, thinking slow, that hmm. the different formats, your mind um, thinks allows you to actually process things in the background. Um, and it's just, again, so it feels counterproductive sometimes, right? You're like, oh my God, I have so much to do. Should I really be sitting here for 10 minutes doing nothing when my to-do list is so long? But actually, you're not doing nothing. You're allowing your mind naturally work out some problems for you and surface some solutions for you. So it's actually very productive.
0: Definitely. All right. So I want to go back to talk about product market fit. That's a big Mm. one. It's a thing where you already have great courses online. You have Y Combinator spitting out truth and truth bombs over there on about product market Mm. fit. It's great. Uh, But yeah, you only learn when you go through it. I learned when I was building my startup, my dating startup, the very first one we thought that, all right, let's hire an engineer, let's start building. But then I thought that, no, this is not right. After a month of building, after a month of not actually getting results, I took a shower. And that's when I realized I should go and build out an Instagram page, build a community, get people in, get people to experience uh, or get pe- give people an experience replicating the entire experience that you were supposed to give on your app over here on the page itself so that's how you can quickly experiment you can rapidly provide them the best experience you can manage everything and that's how we were able to grow we were able to learn and that's when i learned the definition of product market fit when people Mm -hmm. come to you people were literally dming me that prashant when is the next thing happening and i'm like this is cool so i want to learn from you i
1: love that congratulations that's awesome
0: Thank you. Thank you. So I learned from you, I believe you were already coaching, right? You were you were, you're were, doing good at your career. So you're already coaching and then you slowly optimize that. And that's how you thought that let's put a structure to it and let's build scale. How did the product market fit process look like for you?
1: Yeah, that's, you know, that's something that Ravi and I talked a lot about when we were figuring out what the best next step was in terms of a no code quick and dirty solution that would, <laughs> again, like you said, you really nailed it, right? Like you wanted mimic what you want to be building in product as much as you can with no code solution just to validate right like is this even the right direction do people like this like why would you spend hours and a lot of money you know building something if it's not the right direction again that's like going fast in the wrong direction is worse than just like taking some extra time in the beginning so some lessons we learned on product market fit was you know definitely speed is not as important as uh, you know, the velocity going the right direction at the right speed. And so we also looked a lot at other areas and we got inspiration from, you know, nutrition coaching, physical training, coaching, and thought about, okay, what is relevant or not relevant as it pertains to coaching for work? Um, also we, you know, in that test of the product market fit, you also want to test around the pricing, right? Because Hmm. what people might be willing to, do in a no-code solution that for free might be very different from the price that you would want to charge for the business model to be somewhat feasible. Um, And again, spending a lot of time with those users, right? Like understanding their pain points, having real conversations. Early on, you're not going to have the kind of data that you need like you would have at like a Facebook, right? You can run an experiment, get some results really quickly out to like millions of people and have a good sense of direction. When you're building a startup, you know, that's why the community like you mentioned, Prashant, like what you did, I think is so smart because when you have people in your community, you're already trying to, you know, talk about the challenge they're facing, help them come up with solutions. When that's happening, you get the feedback loop a lot faster around, you know, am I going in the right direction or not? Hmm. Um, And like not being too attached to the initial solution you have, because you might have to pivot based on all these learnings that you are constantly getting from all these tests. Right. And so, you know for us those were the key ways in which we got to product market fit is like continuing to iterate and we're still early stage so you know there's still plenty of iteration i'm sure to come um but you know at least having that early sense of feedback from people who are early in your community using a no code experience um, is just so important before you even try to think about scaling
0: that's definitely true uh that's definitely true uh i'm curious that how were you as a kid? Did you think that this is going to happen?
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a fun question. I've never gotten that before. Um, you know what's so funny is my parents probably would have like never guessed I would turn out the way I did because I was extremely <laughs> painfully shy as a kid and very like timid and risk averse. I think part of it is, you know, being in an immigrant family, coming to the US, like I didn't start off speaking English at first, right? Like we didn't really have a ton of friends and family around and so... I didn't, you know, I was, I always felt like I was out of place for a really long time in my life because I was trying to learn, like, how do I fit in? What is this world? Like, how do I learn English, right? All these things. And so um, I don't think they would have, you know, I, I certainly would not have necessarily expected as a kid, you know, that I would be here today taking risks and, you know, being on cold calls with people who I've never met before, onboarding them as, as members to the scale community, right? It's definitely been, you um, I think, you know, the growth mindset that I've had is to like, let me, I have to, I have to figure this out, right. It was kind of forced onto me as a child because I didn't have a community because I didn't have any structured, you know, support system around me. I had to figure out how to survive in this world and like, you know, make it in a way that would allow me to, you know, get into the college I wanted. And so it's always been a very, um, you know, ongoing journey of testing and iterating and trying to figure out, like, how does this work? How am I going to make it? Um, and so I think that helps me be an entrepreneur now that I think yeah. about it. But as a kid, I you know, I had no idea. I was definitely just in a corner reading books by myself, daydreaming all day long, you know, drawing cartoons.
0: Yeah. You said you were very risk averse. So does that mean you are very a high risk taker as of now?
1: <laughs> I think just relatively speaking, you know, because I was so... Uh, scared as a little kid, right? I was, like, scared to, like, ride a bike. I was very scared to, like, go swimming. Like, everything was scary to me and felt very unfamiliar. I think, you know, over time, I've just developed a sense of greater self-confidence, just having experienced challenges and coming back from the challenge. You kind of learn, like, okay, wait. Like, even if things end up being a huge disaster, I know that I'm going to try my best to get out of it, and I believe in myself to do that, and I think that's um, just a helpful you know, when people talk about how challenges can really help build your character, I think that's just so true because after you've seen yourself do it once, you're a little bit less scared of disaster again in the future. Right. Um, and you know, I'm very lucky. It's never been that, you know, nothing has been as disastrous as it felt like at the moment when I was experiencing it. But, you know, similar to your journey, Prashant, like when things don't go according to plan and you have to figure out a solution that really helps you, I think, um, realize that maybe things aren't as risky as they seem, right? That's true. There's always a path and you can always kind of rebound, especially if you've developed, like for for myself, I was like, okay, if I get X number of years of experience working on these types of projects and I know I have the skill set, I can go back if I need to. If the startup doesn't work out, you know, I know I can still be valuable and useful if I try to launch a product at Facebook again, right? So I think it's finding, you know, where you're where you begin to feel comfortable enough to to really branch out of what your past experiences have been
0: okay so victoria this was really cool uh it's cool to know that like you know how you grew up and how it totally did a big shift now the entire podcast between moonshots is about like you know the go-getter feeling that hey after you listen to this you should be in that high energy mode and you should be feeling like all right i can do this too uh so yeah it would be it would be great again you have some you have had some great experiences right like you launched the facebook live facebook watch uh, you'd worked with netflix i read that you did the Mary Condo series and all the unscripted series you worked in that division i would love to know like if you could actually break that down and like you know show someone exactly how you did it and yeah like feel free to brag but i would love to know like how exactly you did it like pick one of that one of those big projects and i would love for you to like you Mm. know really show the path that hey this is exactly how it happened
1: yeah i think the most straightforward one would probably be again going back to uber just because when you're at a big company like Netflix, the complexity involved in launching anything is there's just a lot of additional knowledge you kind of need in context to help make even the role, the roles are very specific to (laughs) a circumstance. And so I'll, I'll go to something that's more simple, but, um, kind of the launch process and my experience, you know, I with everything I do, it's always about like, what are we delivering as value to the end user? Right. And if you stay true to that, then the rest of the strategy can fall from there. And so, When we first were about to launch UberPool, we ran a lot of surveys and did and partnered with data science to understand kind of what are we seeing in terms of trends of using the app and requesting these rides? And also from a qualitative standpoint, what are people actually reacting uh, reacting to in terms of the messaging and their experience on Uber? So you needed to have both the quantitative and the qualitative to get the most accurate picture of like, okay, where do we need to focus our efforts, right? And so once you kind of identify that, then you can start to develop the messaging and the strategy around it. So we found that, for example, three rides was what it took for people to get very sticky with Uber pool and want to keep using Uber pool in the future. So you needed like a couple experiences and you're like, wait a minute, I really like this thing. And so the goal for marketing was really how do we get people to those three rides? How do we On the surveys, okay, people feel weird about sitting in a a stranger. It's just culturally not a thing right now. How do we make that more fun? And so, when you identify the top barriers to adoption, and you identify, um, you know, what the the key pivot point is to retention, you start to design your strategy and marketing around that, right? And so, we launched campaigns around, um, you know, fun pool ride stories of people who met in an Uber pool and like really fun stories that came from that. So that was on the softer side of like, how do we make that barrier to sharing a ride with someone feel less scary? And then on the quantitative side, right? Like when we found that it took up to three rides to get someone to convert, to really be like an avid Uber pool rider, we would be able to identify that based on their app behavior. So we would say, okay, after three rides, you know, how can we push them and incentivize them to, to, to get to that third ride and keep taking Uber pool? So that might be an in, An app notification, it might be a special promotion and discount we offer just to get you to that third ride. Um, We also did partnerships um, where we worked with different credit card companies to offer up to three rides for free from that credit card company. So then again, getting to that sticky point. Um, So going back to just, again, who is the user? What are their barriers? And how can you get them to the retention sticky point? That's kind of the the framework to think through right when you're trying to get people to adopt and use your product and so hopefully that's helpful hopefully that's a good example of um, you know kind of the steps I took but it was it was really exciting to see you know when you're able to move the numbers using that kind of data driven insight driven approach
0: definitely and can you also share the numbers over here like what were the number changes from when you started to when you ended this these these campaigns are you talking
1: oh my gosh it's been so long i can't remember the exact numbers but we definitely broke into the millions right like we started definitely but you know again uber wasn't starting from scratch like it was great it's it's kind of fun to launch a new product with an existing company because you already have at least some existing people to draw from you're just converting them um, or encouraging them to use the product more um but you know we had an existing user base of like millions of people already to target with a lot of those and then we were able to convert um those people even further
0: all right victoria this was good this was really good uh learned a lot about the entire uh coaching stuff so we talked about anxiety confidence we talked about hiring this was really cool thank you thank you for coming on
1: of course thank you this has been super fun um really appreciate the time and yeah it's been a really fun conversation thank you for having me